The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. And Nick is not here with us. He is out for this week. That's why I've been doing the breaking news pods. But I did fill in for Nick with someone whose name starts with the letter N. So today it's the Nate and Nolan Show. I have along with me Nate Geary. WGR on-air personality and cover one contributor, Mr. Geary. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm very good. I appreciate that that you, that you put my name first in the the Nick and Nolan uh, part of that. That uh, that uh, the the Nate and Nolan, I should say that uh, that means a lot. I am a deferential host. There's no question. And plus, the alliteration just works better to have the f- one syllable name at the beginning and the two syllable name at the end. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. And it sounds it's got a nice ring to it. I'm not going to lie. Well, Nick and I had a lot of different options when we were coming to name our podcast, and I fought really hard. I will say this one. I fought really hard for Nick and Nolan. That was my baby from the beginning. And he it took him days, Nate, days to come around on the Nick and Nolan theory. There were so many other things he wanted to call the podcast, and I just kept coming back around. No, you don't understand. The alliteration is perfect. It's the Nick and Nolan show. Eventually, he gave in. So now I just figure I just slot you right in. Yeah, you know, I'm a good, I'm a decent replacement. I'm not as handsome, but uh, I'm here to party just as hard. Excellent. Well, Brandon Bean's been having a party over the he last couple has. of days. He's He's been enjoying himself partying late into the night, which brings me to the fact that, mind you, we are recording this. It is 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on March the 18th, and we are going to keep an eye on Twitter while we are doing this podcast because news could break because that tends to be the time of night when Brandon Bean does his work. So we're just going to have to be real fluid with this. Nate, we'll just kind of hang out for a minute and just talk about where we're at with free agency. We might have to react on the fly, but you never know. Yeah, he's a man of the night. He does his best work uh, after uh, after the sun goes down. And um, I'll tell you that I think that might be a theme for this year as as, as well. Because I was uh, who was I on a podcast with yesterday? Oh, it was the it was uh, the nightcap on WGR with Joe DiBiase. I told him I I thought that the Bills had a likelihood, and and I basically and I'll ask you this question. This is a good way to start the show based on the the moves in free agency via trade, right? Uh, I put the prime time games for the Buffalo Bills in 2020 at three and a half, and I'm interested in your take on what you think. I th- I think the logical bet is the under, but the optimistic bet is the over at four, which I optimistically uh, pegged for. So. I'm going to take the under on that, not just because I'm a bitter, jaded Buffalo fan, but also because it's what I'm secretly hoping for. Here's a 
Here's a weird thing. I don't like primetime games, Nate. I don't love them either from a work perspective. I don't perspective. enjoy them. It, 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 it's just, it, it's really a messes with my routine. And, you know, I end up watching the primetime games Monday night, Sunday night anyway, but the freedom to know that I can go to bed in the third quarter, if it's mm-hmm. really getting annoying is a freedom I don't have if the bills are playing That's that right. game. So I hate to sound like a Debbie downer, but I'm not much of a primetime guy. I don't know. I like them. I like the thought of them. But then when I have to work until, you know, 2 a.m. on a Sunday or a Monday night, um, no, I, that's, that's not preferred, but, uh, I like the glitz and glamor, the camera angles, maybe most notably, and the personalities, the announcers, it was kind of surreal. I mean, last year having an opportunity to, to listen to, you know, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels call a bills game. It, it just had been so long. Um, and, and I love the Sunday night camera angles. I love their production, um, Monday night football, less you know, but, uh, you know, we'll see what they end up doing. It's, but you know, for me, what it comes down to is just sort of that, that, that's the, the, the eyes of the nation, right. Are, are on you. The, 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 the sort of pressure is building and it's built up a little bit more in games like that. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I prefer the 1 PM. They're easy to predict. And, um, you know, for me, I'm home by eight o'clock watching the night game. And I prefer to do that when I'm on the, you know, comfort of my own couch. I know that ESPN is trying to grab a Peyton. different announcer crew, trying to grab Peyton. I can't help but notice my cell phone didn't ring. Nate, did yours ring? They didn't call me. Off the hook. Off the hook. Oh, Just kidding. Gosh, yeah. So what are you doing on the podcast with me then? I mean, goodness yeah, gracious. Right? I'll, do it. I'll do it for half of what they're offering Peyton. Just I'll do it for a quarter. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it for a quarter. I'll, well, I'll do it for a free. Bargain, Mr. You I'll do it for a free. Really hard bargain. <laughs> I'd, get, I'd get enough Twitter followers. I could, I could figure out the difference. So Brandon Bean, man of the evening, has been making moves. Specifically, there are seven I want to talk about today, and I want to break it down in two kind of subroutines. The first is how the move feels to us from an on-field perspective, how the player fits with the Bills, what role we will think he plays, what hole do we think he filled on this roster, what need is being either upgraded or hedged against. And the second thing is the finances, because it's impossible as much as we love Brandon Bean, it's impossible for every single deal to be great. That's just not possible. But there are some deals we might like better than others based on the numbers, based on the way the market played out. So we're going to go through these seven things that have been announced or I'm sorry, reported, because remember, we can't announce anything, but we can announce that there are reports. So very important distinction to make there. We're going to go through all seven of these things, and we're going to go through them in what I think is chronological order. We're going to talk about all of them. And at the end, I'm going to ask you to rank the moves from your most favorite to your least favorite based entirely on personal opinion and your interpretation of value. Sound good? Sounds good to me. All right. Let's start with AJ Klein. Our free agency in Buffalo, got off to kind of an odd start, just like it did last year when Frank Gore was the first announced signing. We're like, that's it. I waited this whole time for that. But let's not sleep on the fact the strong side linebacker in three linebacker sets was a need for this team. AJ Klein was signed for three years, $18 million. Now, Pro Football Focus, right, had him as a snap count in the 70s. For the Saints, but when Sean McDermott knew him, it was closer to being about 25% of the snaps. So we know he's not going to play a ton of snaps here because the Bills play nickel the vast majority of the time, and they have two linebackers that they're not going to take off the field to put A.J. Klein on the field. That doesn't make any sense. But tell me what you think about A.J. Klein as a fit in that three linebacker sets. I like the fit in three linebacker sets. I also like the fit as like a special teams captain. Um, obviously, uh, another guy they end up bringing back is Taiwan Jones, and we'll talk about the the linebacker that they brought in from from uh, Pittsburgh as well as some serious in- inventory collection uh, of some special teams players. And I mean, it was something that that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott talked about a rock, locker cleanout. 
um, was improving the special teams. And, and at times last year, they were the 32nd ranked special teams unit in all of football. Um, so, you know, from a, a special team standpoint, I think Klein is definitely going to add um, some some expertise in those areas. Yes, I don't believe he's going to be in the 70s um, and snap count here in Buffalo. Um, but I do think that in, there's going to be situations near the goal line, um, things like that, where you can maybe bring him in um, and he can have that purpose. I, yeah, yeah, I think in the between the 20 and 30 percent um, snap count is is likely going to be what his role is. But um, considering you know that they that, that they're going to end up paying him what is it six six million a year to do that, mm-hmm. um, it seems a little bit of an overpayment. But again, I, I you you end up overpaying for a guy who's going to come in here as a big locker room guy. He was a captain for the Saints, um, you know, over the last couple of seasons and a team that's been to the NFC Championship game and and sort of understands what it takes to get deep into the playoffs. So um, yeah, I guess you can't really put a, a precise value on a guy that knows McDermott's system, bought is, is already going to come pre-bought in. Um, I, you know, that the, the value of that ends up being a little bit greater than, um, than maybe it would in other places. So... I've seen a little bit of rumors when the AJ Klein signing first happened. I saw a little bit of rumblings around a hedging of this being something where if Matt Milano were to leave us next year, AJ Klein would be able to play in that spot because they they heard about AJ Klein's versatility. And I'm here to kind of really, really pump the brakes on that. AJ Klein is not even a quarter of the athlete that Matt Milano is. And I would not personally feel comfortable with him on the weak side in a run and chase role, especially in coverage. Um, Nate, do you have thoughts on that? Am I, am I I completely off my rocker here? Thoughts on AJ Klein as a weak side linebacker in this defense? No, I, I, I don't think that that's that, that is at the very most a a contingency plan. You know, if Matt Milano were to get injured and then obviously leave in the off season, um, then I think you maybe have someone that you could rely on in, in some areas, but you're right. It's, that's not a guy that I'm looking, um, in a lot of situations against some of the league's best tight ends. I mean, you're talking about a, a, a major sore spot. Um, in the middle of your defense. So yeah, I mean, I, that, that is no replacement for Matt Milano. Matt, what Matt Milano brings to the to the table and to the field is is pretty generally underappreciated because he's a little smaller, um, but he's fast. He can cover. He can uh, he can track. He is the kind of guy that uh, that is very rare in the league. Sort of, he almost came into the league with the thoughts of maybe this hybrid type player um, or or a versatile player. But he slots in very well on the weak side. And and I think an AJ Klein is really the guy that's that's going to come and fill the role, the stand up role of, of Lorenzo Alexander. And I think that they're going to end up essentially replacing Lorenzo Alexander with two or three people, um, which really again speaks to the the importance that Lorenzo Alexander to, had to not only the defense but the special teams as well as a criminally underrated player in Lorenzo because you essentially are now going to find three players you have to pay to take the roles of one player that Lorenzo Alexander did here for. Uh, for many years so that that's a, a tip of the cap to uh, to zo so moving along to the reason why i had to get done with my aj klein breaking news pod and then turn around walk right back into my office and record a different pod and that's the bills swinging a trade for stefan diggs a one a four and a five a four the following year for stefan diggs and a seven. So first off, let's talk about Stefan Diggs on the field. My personal opinion about this maneuver is that I'm not entirely sure you could get a classically number one receiver better fit for Josh Allen than Stefan Diggs. Finding someone who can present themselves visually to the quarterback and generate that extra half yard separation, it's like finding a bigger, stronger faster Cole Beasley and being able to have someone like that who can play on the outside. I think people would probably put Stefan Diggs up there with Amari Cooper, Devontae Adams, as far as route runners in the NFL, having someone who can present themselves visually to a quarterback who might be a little slow on the processing, but has an absolute mountain of an arm. Those things can really do well because the massive anticipation can be offset by the fact that you can present yourself visually, Josh Allen can see it and then throw it, which helps him not have to anticipate that much, not have to anticipate body positioning, body leverage, things like that. I personally can't think 
of a number one receiver from an archetype standpoint that would be better fit for Josh Allen than Stephon Diggs. But I'm not the only one on this pod. So just from a fit standpoint, Nate, where are you at? Love the fit. I I totally agree with you in that in, just in terms of total fit, it just it checks all the boxes, right? We're talking about a player um, that is 26 years old, um, four years left on his contract. This is a player that is coming off back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, um, is widely considered one of, if not the best route runner in football. Um, on top of that, he's the kind of guy that, as you mentioned, can create that additional margin for error, widen the gap, open the window, um, so to speak, for Josh Allen. That that extra half second um, is the difference when you have a quarterback who, as you mentioned, can throw the football you know, pretty much uh, un, unparalleled in terms of velocity and being able to fit balls into windows. Um, well, when you can create an extra half inch, extra yard, um, extra whatever um, of that of, of, of that window or, or that, um, I, I call it, you know, the margin for error, like that is such a big thing for a quarterback that needs to take a step in 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 year three, and you know I, we've been widely begging for a legitimate wide receiver one. There is no question who the number one wide receiver on the football team is. As much as Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs were friends and maybe best friends, it was kind of an unclear at times who the number one receiver was. They basically had a one A and one B, um, and I don't think that that was necessarily a situation um, from a player standpoint and especially a personality. standpoint standpoint of Stefan Diggs that necessarily sat well with him, even though he liked the guy that was on the other side of him. And I think when he comes here, he's clearly the alpha. And and I think some of the issues, the off the field, uh, some of the Twitter stuff, some of the distraction stuff um, with uh, with Stefan Diggs, I thought was 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 kind of overblown. Right. Uh, I think we had Arif Hassan on with us yesterday on uh, cover one. And he was mentioning a lot of times that the team, um, some of the antics right after plays or after drives that maybe um, he didn't get a get an opportunity to make a catch or uh, make a play on that he would be a distraction. He'd throw his helmet or do something. And for the most part, that was just how Stefan Diggs sort of coped with the play and was angry with himself and he would after it pick up his helmet walk over to the sidelines talk to Kirk Cousins and get a plan together for the next drive and it was never anything that carried over to the relationship with the quarterback or the relationship with the other wide receiver or other players in that offense or the, or the head coach at times but there was that time right before the trade deadline last year where it did kind of blow up um, and and you know the head coach does have to come out and make a statement about um, you know potentially having to trade Stefan Diggs and when that happened um, I thought that it was he was as good as gone. And when they ended up keeping him and not trading him at the deadline, I thought, okay, well then he's definitely just not going to get traded because if you're going to make the trade, you were going to make the trade at the deadline when that blow up happened. And, and obviously now that the off season's here, they decided that that was the time to do it. And I think, I think the bills paid, paid fair, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> fair market value. Sorry about that. Um, and the, for me, as much as everybody wants to look at the Deandre Hopkins trade, how are you going to look at that and compare that to any trade ever made in the NFL? If you if you want to compare that trade to any trade in the NFL, you're going to say, yeah, you overpaid. I think the Bills paid fair market value for one of the best receivers in football. And as you mentioned, you couldn't pick a better fit in terms of player style and, and abilities to you know high point the football. He's like Mike Evans, Cole Beasley, and you know Devonte Adams wrapped up into a six foot one, you know, hundred ninety five pound player, and that's really, I mean, pretty rare to come by. I want to correct myself on one thing. It's not a one, a four, and a five this year. It's a one, a five, and a six this year, and then Stefan Diggs and a seventh with a fourth coming from us next year. Fair so, market value. Like he, he is a legitimate receiver at 26 years old with term and, 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 and a fair cap hit, a, what will end up being a bargain. I mean, but in two years from now, Stefan Diggs won't even be in the top 20 or top 25 of wide receivers paid in the league. And, and that to me screams value. Now, whether or not on the other end of this, is there a restructuring of his deal? Is there some more upfront money? I'm fine with that. They've got the room to do that. If if that's going to make Stefan Diggs happy, give him the extra 10, 15 million. I don't 
really care. It's not my money, you know? So, and, and, and I think too, that this is one of the points I wanted to make too, about the Kirk Cousins dynamic of this, right? One of the things that I, I think maybe I feel good about the potential relationship between Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. And I know it's the punchline of the whole free agency period, right? Is, Oh God, if he got upset with Kirk Cousins, imagine what he's going to do to Josh Allen. Cause he's so damn inaccurate. And I think part of part of the inaccuracy issues, I think were inflamed by the fact that Kirk Cousins' personality didn't necessarily mesh well with the type of personality that Stephon Diggs is. The thing that I like about Josh Allen, and I know that the teammates inside the Bills locker room like about Josh Allen and coaches and players that leave here that say good things about Josh Allen, is that he's an alpha personality. That he makes plays on the field and he lets his play and his his effort uh, and his preparation sort of speak for itself. And not that Kirk Cousins isn't a hard worker. He's he is intellectually um, and and in terms of preparation and and game plan, he is up there. Like you know, some of the offseason stuff I saw last year of Kirk Cousins going through some of his film work and his study. At the, like he's a very intellectual guy on the field. The thing is, um, is the personality trait is definitely a mildly different um, than what you have in Josh Allen. I think that they'll mesh personality wise really well. Um, and and I, I, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that Josh Allen can be better. Um, and even if he stayed just slightly the same this year and only got slightly better or basically stayed the same, I mean, they were a 10 win football team with no true number one receiver. Um, and now you're going to have a seasoned Dawson Knox, a guy that's got a year under his belt, who's learning, um, who's a dynamic player. You have John Brown, who's now never, ever, ever going to see a double team. Hello, that is great news to Buffalo Bills fans and to Josh Allen. And, me, and, and, and I think thirdly, who I think is the biggest beneficiary of this whole thing, is Cole Beasley, because now Cole Beasley has the tools to roam over the middle of the field uninhibited, um, doing what he does best against linebackers and safeties. And if you're a safety that's lining over the slot, well, good luck. That means you're not bracketing one of the ride receivers that's to the left or to the right of him. So for me, what this comes down to is Brian Dable likes to run a lot of three wide receiver sets. He has a trio that rivals just about anybody from a route running, separation, and athleticism uh, standpoint. And I'm super excited of what they've, they've, they've developed. Now, give me a Chase Claypool. Give me, um, you know, maybe a, a Donovan Peoples-Jones or a Michael Pittman Jr. or the third. Um, and now we're talking about some size that you could add to that and and no offense to Duke Williams but I would like to see a, a Chase Claypool um, take the place of what we saw Duke Williams be last year that big uh, fourth receiver that uh, that maybe can come into the red zone and help it's sorry I said a lot there no, no. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned Cole Beasley because you know people kind of gloss over this Cole Beasley is a fairly outspoken fairly emotional wide receiver and this is a guy who two months into the season is saying I would go to war for Josh Allen I would go to war for that guy. You think Josh Allen hasn't missed Cole Beasley really, really inaccurately? You think it's never happened? And so I think that I won't say Cole Beasley is a test run for Stefan Diggs, but there's a difference between being emotional and passionate and also being a disruption. Now, there are receivers who cross that line all the time. The reason why receivers have a tendency to collect diva tendencies is because being a receiver is got to be one of the most frustrating positions in the entire world to play on the football field. You know, you, you do your job, you can do everything right. perfectly That's and right. still not get the ball. So that frustration requires a level of emotional discipline to be able to handle being a receiver that is not really necessary at other positions. So it has a tendency to attract personalities like that, but we have emotional players on this team. Cole Beasley is an emotional, outspoken player. Shaq Lawson was an emotional, outspoken player. Jordan Phillips was an emotional, outspoken player. It's not like Stefan. Jerry Diggs. Hughes. Jerry Hughes, for goodness sake, Jerry Hughes can scream at a reporter, come in 10 minutes later, and with a completely straight face, look at Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic and go, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you, I mean, I, I, what? No, that, 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 that never happened, right? It's literally elite level trolling from Jerry Hughes is possible because of how emotional he is. You know, we see the Gary side, Gary Hughes come out. And I, I just, I, I'm not saying that there's no potential for there to be a problem there. I'm just saying it feels like it might be overblown a little bit. It's not like there's been issues his entire career. Yeah, he got a little cryptic on social media and he had his little spat this year. It's not like 
that's been a habit for him his entire career. I mean, look at his rookie year, his second year, his third year, nothing. None of that stuff happened. There's been no reports of him being a trouble off the field. I just, I just think people might be overblowing that a little bit. I'm not saying there's no reason for any sort of concern because whenever you have a, a big personality or a robust personality, there's something to think about there because it has to be managed. But it's not like we brought in someone who's a known team killer. That's not what's going on here. So moving on to the next player. I said we weren't going to spend too much time on Diggs, and we totally did. We did. But, we did. but it's exciting. It's exciting. So I understand that. Moving along to... I know, hold your breath. I know you're shocked here, Nate, but the Bills signed someone who used to be a Panther. I don't know if you heard that or not, but that actually happened. And I know you're shocked and I know you're floored, but Mario Addison comes to the Bills on what I thought was a surprisingly large contract Mm -hmm. with three years, $30.45 million. Now we do have specifically the financial details on this and you could kind of get out after one year with 4 million in dead cap. But it's probably a two-year deal. It's probably, that's what we're probably looking at, two years and we'll see. Nick and I had talked about that the vast majority of contracts in the NFL are either one year and we'll see, two years and we'll see, and three years and we'll see. And Brandon Bean's done a really good job of keeping these contracts to one year and let's see, or two years and let's see, giving him flexibility. It looks like Mario Addison's one of those things, but he is 32. So let's start with the on the field stuff before we back down, before we get over to the finances. On the field, Mario Addison, how do you like the fit? So Mario Edison, I like the fit a lot. Um, I think he is likely to play a similar position to Jerry Hughes, where I think the more anchor end um, is going to still probably, well, I mean, I guess it, it, we'll, we'll see if Trent Murphy's still here. You know, I, I don't know um, what their plans are with Trent Murphy. That's kind of a whole other story. But with Mario Edison, the fit, um, nine and a half sacks last season, nine sacks or more in the last three seasons, 30 years old or 32 years old, uh, 33. Is he 33 years old? 32 now. 32, but will be 33 during the season. Um, right. But how about this? I, this is how I'd look at it, right? Is basically making the same amount of potential money as Shaq Lawson. As much as I like Shaq, I think that was a gross overpayment of Shaq Lawson. Um, and I look at it from this perspective, would I rather have Shaq Lawson at $32 million, or would I rather have Mario Addison at $32 million? And the answer to that is I'd rather have Addison at $32 million because I'd, I'd rather pay for the sack production um, than the mythical run-stopping capabilities that everyone is sort of... Uh, sort of just kind of throws out there with Shaq Lawson is that he's this elite run defender and he's a good run defender, but I would not call him an elite run defender. And he's a guy that's going to bring you four to six sacks at the very most during the season. Um, and he's, he became a good locker room guy, but at the end of the day, that's not 30, that's not a $30 million player to me. So with Mario Addison, at least you have a guy that can, that can fill up the sack column, can fill up the pressures column. And I've really liked, and we're going to have an opportunity because they made a lot of changes to the defensive line and additions. I really like the type of players that they've added on the defensive line. I was really worried about it, you know, going into Tuesday um, that I was worried about what their defensive line was going to look like. I was like, yeah, they've got Mario Addison. That's fine. But I'm still worried about what they're going to do at defensive end outside of Mario Addison. And what about defensive tackle? And then, you know, they make a couple of really good moves there too. So I think altogether Addison was, was the start of a, of a couple of really savvy, good moves. And I think if the overpayment was going to come on one of those defensive linemen, the guy that made the most sense that was going to get overpaid was Addison. I was actually a little bit surprised with Addison this year. I'm not surprised he's a bill now. I projected him to go to the bills, but I projected him on a one-year deal that was a lot lower in value. I'm surprised about the market. But one of the things that I was surprised about with Mario Addison's, I really thought this would be a significant drop-off year. When I found that the Panthers were transitioning to a defense that had a lot more 3-4 in it, I thought, gosh, where does that leave Mario Addison? Because I yeah. don't feel comfortable with him as a stand-up rush linebacker, but I don't think he's big enough quite to be a five-tech. And so it was a very strange fit for me. I was like, I think Mario Addison might fall off the cliff, and he actually was able to produce. I think that there's a possibility he's a better fit in what the Bills are doing than he was in what the Panthers did last yeah. year. And so I'm happy about that. I think that Mario Addison is a base 4-3 end. That's what he is. That's what he was built to do. That's what the body type lends itself towards. But 
that he was probably even a little bit miscast. And so his ability to have production last year in a Carolina defense that I don't think was overly fitting for him, I think is, I think is pretty impressive. So on the field, I'm good with the fit. Like I said, with the finances stuff, I, I think it was a little bit more than I was expecting. For Mario Addison, for sure. Now, I know the pass rusher market got kind of weird because of everyone getting franchise tag. But, Nate, tell me if this is wrong. This feels a little bit to me like the Starla Tulele contract. This feels Ooh, yes. to me that, hey, this is a position of need. We have someone we're comfortable with. I'm going to write a check that's probably a little bigger than we probably wanted to write in to make sure that we fill this hole with someone we trust, someone we know, and someone we feel good about being able to fill this need so we don't have to go into the draft knowing that we absolutely have to draft that. Am I wrong here? It feels like the star contract to me. Not only that, but I think the the knowledge of the player really helps in this instance because here's the thing, you know, he's going to be asked to come in here and play 45, maybe 50% of the snaps. That's huge for a player that if you're going to say at 33 years old is going to maintain a nine, nine and a half sack season this coming season, which is what you're going to hope for. Um, well, then, you know, is he going to play 65, 70% of the snaps? Because if that's the case at 33, you're not really putting him in a situation. I think that's going to help him most succeed. So based on how we know they rotate their defensive ends, their defensive line in general, um, I think that's going to bode well even better for a Mario Addison who's coming into a situation where he's not going to be asked to be the best defensive lineman on the team. And that, that isn't going to necessarily be relied upon as their best pass rusher, but he's definitely their most nuanced pass rusher outside of Jerry Hughes. And I'm going to, I'm going to love third for uh, yeah, like third and long situations where you've got Ed Oliver, Quinton Jefferson, Hughes and, and Addison on the field all at one time. Like that's, that's a problem. I mean, from a pass rushing standpoint, that's, that is quick. That is, uh, I mean, you have guys right there that are all all ended the season with thirty plus pressures. Um, that that is nothing to to balk at. So, here's something that might be to balk at: two years, nine million for Tyler Matakavich. I have made the mistake of emphasizing the wrong syllable in his name more times than I can count. I have said Matakovich so many oh. times. And it's just, I'm putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable, Nate. And it's just, it's really problematic. So that that one hurt my brain. Yes. Yeah. Matakevich is what I'm supposed to be saying. But my brother-in-law and his wife are massive Steelers fans. And they texted me the second it happened and said, you got Dirty Red. So apparently Dirty Red is the nickname. I was not aware of the, the, the nickname, but Dirty Red, Dirty Red. Now, it, it seems it seems reasonable that, you know, Trent Murphy would have some competition when it comes to which Buffalo Bills player is the designated Viking for Halloween. So yeah, I feel like ginger this Halloween. Exactly. So, you know, not only does Trent Murphy have to worry about his job getting taken by Mario Addison, he has to worry about his title of Bill Buffalo Bills resident Viking being taken from Tyler Matakavich. So I know that the Bills wanted to upgrade special teams. And I know that this probably means that, you know, Sonoris Perry, Julian Stanford, I know that there were some there were some decisions made last offseason to upgrade special teams, and they didn't go the way they wanted to. Sonoris Perry was underwhelming. Yes. Julian Stanford was was okay. And then they brought in Maurice Alexander, who basically contributed very little before leaving with an injury. So they brought in these people that Farwell specifically had knowledge of in hopes that they would help us buff up the special teams and it didn't quite work and i feel like maybe the pendulum swung the other directions and listen you know who we guarantee you is going to be a special teams demon matakevich and they gave him four and a half million dollars a year for a player that is not really a defensive player he's a four-phase special teams player which is great but he's not going to play on defense almost at all. It felt a little bit like an overpayment, but this is a little bit like the equivalent of killing a spider with a flamethrower, in my opinion. This is the... That's a perfect equation. We're going to burn the house down, but we know we're going to get the spider. So yes, we are sure we are going to get good health, health assuming, we're going to get good special teams production. He's one of the best special teams players in the entire league. But man... Four and a half million dollars a year seems like a bit much. Nate, talk to me about Matakevich. How do you feel? Yeah, the overpayment for sure. When I saw nine million, I was like, wow. Um, of course, I think a lot of that will probably be some upfront money. I doubt, uh, I, I don't know, did the numbers come out on that yet? I doubt that's going to be a cap hit at four million. 
um, or at four and a half. I would be surprised um, if his cap hit uh, next year, especially, um, is anywhere near that. So um, having said that, yeah, the special team's prowess um, is is what he was paid for, and, and I wouldn't expect to see him very much. If he is on the field defensively, um, something's gone horribly, horribly wrong. Um, but having said that, um, you know, he is a player that can come in along with A.J. Klein, be legitimate, um, solid punt, you know, punt team essentially is the only special teams that's really out there that still matters. I mean, kickoff is, is, is essentially been, been abolished at this point in the NFL. So it's the punt team, um, where you really need guys that can be responsible, good special teams players. Um, and I think that they're getting there with Robert Foster, interestingly enough, um, as one of the gunners on one of the other sides, I thought he really came on last year as a special teams player. Um, so you're, you're developing guys within, um, you're adding some guys from free agency as well. And, and I I think he's definitely going to be a guy. Um, and there's another guy we'll talk about b- before the end of the show as well um, that was really brought on to be another special teams guy that they can really count on. So we do not have full details on the contract yet. I checked while you were talking. No full details on the contract. Obviously, we reserve opinion, but to- even if just the total value, maximum value is nine, it still seems a little bit much to me. Yeah, so I agree. We're going to move on to the extension for Jordan Poyer. You and I talked about this a little bit in Twitter DMs. I'm actually a little bit shocked that this got done so quickly. I was worried. I was starting to get a little concerned. This might be something that dragged on a little bit into training camp. I'm glad it's done. I think that I made a a comment on a, a solo pod not too long ago that if you told me I can extend, you know, one of the following players, you know, Poyer, Milano, Dawkins, Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips, Quentin Spain, Kevin Johnson, you know, probably Dawkins at number one, just because of just because of kind of scarcity at the left tackle situation. But Poyer might be number two on that list because of how important safeties are to this defense. I mentioned that on field, Bill Belichick has mentioned this when he talked about the Buffalo defense and how the interchangeability of Poyer and Hyde and their ability to hold disguises post-snap where you could be two seconds or a second and a half into a snap and you still don't know what coverage it is can really, really take an, what is at its foundational core a very simplistic Buffalo Bills defense and make it really, really annoying for quarterbacks to have to deal with because of how well and how instinctually those coverages are, are disguised. I think Poyer's low-key, his combination with Hyde, really important on field of this defense. And I'm happy to see an extension done for what I think is a very reasonable number at $10.5 million over the next two. Let's talk about the on-field stuff first. Nate, are you as big of a fan of the extension as I am? Uh, yeah, I think so, especially just based on the numbers. Um, essentially, he lines, I, I think the, the organization lines this up um, where he's basically going to be up for free agency the same time um, as Micah Hyde, essentially, because it's essentially a two-year deal, um, and then they can get out from underneath it. Um, so they've kind of lined that up, in my opinion. And now the question goes to next year, is Micah Hyde a candidate that they're going to bring back? And the only reason I was surprised about it um, is he's a player that is not old by any means, but is approaching that, that, that mark of your career where you're going to get the, your best days are behind you. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean you can't be an effective player or playing at a high level still, but you know, your, your peak as a player, um, you know, it, you're on the other side or, or what you would say the wrong side of your career. Um, and I wonder how the safety tandem that they've been, you know, knock on wood, I have a, I have a thing over here, so I had to knock on it. They've I had. And I heard you knock on wood. They have really scathed and really any sort of significant injury to both of them. Um, and that has, and even really, even minor injuries where they've missed a game here or there, but nothing that has been nagging or um, that's been an issue for them. And I think that's been huge for both of their successes that they've both been healthy together. But your point about being able to disguise coverages really sticks home for me because, yes, the, the, the thing that, that makes them so unique is both of them can interchange both free and strong safety. Um, both are competent playing in the box as run defenders, which is very rare in finding two safeties, and both can play the deep middle, the deep third of the field. And that is also very rare to find. Um, So the fact that they kind of have the same 
level of talent, I think tells you that this was an opportunity for them to say, we appreciate you to the same level as we do Micah Hyde. And, and they basically gave, I think they're going to be making pretty similar per year numbers when it's all said and done. They essentially gave them a little buyback from some of the value that they've gotten off of the last couple of seasons. Um, and he's essentially going to be the 12th, 13th highest paid safety in football and give me a break. He's a top three or four player um, at the safety position in the league at the free safety position. So yeah, you know, it was a home run move for the bills. Um, They lock him up with flexibility to move on. If his play deteriorates um, after two years and you know, you've set yourself up in your defense to not take any steps back, especially from the defensive backfield standpoint. So we're good with the field. We're good with the finances. This next person we want to talk about is one of the most fascinating case studies for me personally in this free agency period. It's Vernon Butler, defensive tackle from the Carolina Panthers. Stop me if you heard that before. But Vernon Butler was fascinating to me coming into this because I knew that there would be some interest because of the potential loss of Jordan Phillips and the understanding that Bean was there when he was drafted in Carolina. But I saw Vernon Butler, who had been considered to be a bust up until this year, kind of break out this year. And much like my discussion with you about Mario Addison, the shift to more 3-4 looks in Carolina put Butler in a position where he was playing 5-tech a lot. And I wondered out loud multiple times if the reason why Butler broke out this year is because he's actually a 5-tech. And he has been this whole time, and he was finally put in the best position. It's the inverse scenario as Addison. He was finally put in the best position to make plays, and now we're going to ask him to move back to a position that might not be as good for him. Or the other side of that coin is, well, you know, defensive tackle is a slow-developing position, and he came from Louisiana Tech. So maybe it just took him a minute to figure his stuff out. So... First off, let me ask you, because I haven't got a chance to ask anybody this until you, where do you fall on that spectrum? Are you of the opinion that Butler had his breakout year in 19 because he was supposed to be a five tech and that was the best position for him, which means we should be nervous maybe about him not being able to recapture that six sack breakout season with the Bills? Or was this going to happen anyway, regardless of the system, and we're getting an ascending player? Where do you fall on that? Because I've got some questions. He reminds me a lot of Shaq Lawson, the, the situation, not the player potentially. Um, you know, a guy that you just didn't hear a lot from early in his career, some injuries. Um, and then, right, he has his the, his fourth year campaign. Uh, he sort of goes off, right, an ascending uh, player, as you mentioned. And the thing that you'll say about Butler is I don't necessarily know that it, it's related to him playing in the five tech. I think a lot of it has to do, um, in my opinion, last season is that defensive line. Um, think about the pressure that was taken away when he was essentially playing between um, Gerald McCoy and uh, Brian Burns, who is a stud. Um, so, you know, you you had, the guys around him were pretty damn good on that defensive line. That didn't hurt either. Um, so I look at it from there and I say, okay, that could definitely be playing a part here. Um, that the rest of the line also, I mean, Bruce Irvin in there as well. I mean, you had some dynamic pass rushers and some really good interior defensive linemen as well. Um, and and when you when you think about it from that perspective, you're like, okay, well, he's just surrounded by a lot of good talent. That could be part of it. Um, I think from this standpoint, it is I'm super intrigued because the flexibility to me is the most interesting part of this. You're mentioning a five tech. Um, I. I the obvious move is he moves in to the three tech, right? Like that's where obviously potentially him and, um, you know, at Oliver could potentially play next to each other or with each other. That seems it. But then where does Quentin Jefferson stack up? Because then you're talking about Quentin Jefferson. I think this is maybe where we can combine talking about both these players. Cause I think the fit of them is so interesting. And I don't think that there necessarily needs to be a set position for either. Um, you know, Butler is going to be a player that you could also have in a third down situations um, instead of Jefferson. If you want to have him in the middle, I mean, six, six and a half sacks, six sacks last year for uh, for Butler. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it, to me, the fit of, of how they end up finding that rotation is going to be really interesting to me. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm fine with him at the three technique. No problem. Is, is he a four, three defensive end? I don't I don't think so. Um, and, and is he a, that anchor end? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't think so. 
So, but it's interesting because then the question becomes is, do you like Jefferson as a four, three defensive end? And I think that I like him as the three technique. So, uh, you know, it's really interesting how, how the versatility, but I wonder how the, the ultimately, you know, the defensive line ends up playing out. And that's why I also think that they're not necessarily totally out of the running for another defensive end in the draft, um, or if they have their sights set on somebody else in free agency still, um, it wouldn't throw me off if they were to bring in another value defensive end as well. One of the things I think is interesting about the Vernon Butler conversation is the contract was initially reported as two years, $18 million, and Track has it listed as two years, $15 million. That's That's a difference. That's that that's something that where there's there's a difference there. And I find it really interesting that the Bills weren't willing to pay Jordan Phillips 10, but they were willing to pay Vernon Butler seven and a half. They weren't willing to pay Shaq Lawson 10, but they were willing to pay Mario Addison 10. So these are people where I think these decisions tell us what the organization thought of those players and how they valued them. Not that they weren't good players, because Shaq openly said there was an offer on the table. But we can almost guarantee that the offer wasn't as good as the offer to Addison. He probably would have taken it. I know there's a difference in in guaranteed money, but it wasn't big enough that he would have just eschewed it, I don't think, for the market. But I think there's some very interesting parallels between the Butler Phillips and the Lawson Addison when you talk about the money. But moving to Quentin Jefferson, I'm with you, man. I don't even know what you do with Quentin Jefferson. He played across the line at Seattle last year. He played the plurality of snaps at end, but he played a fair amount at left defensive tackle and right defensive tackle. You can play him across the line. And this kind of loops back, I think, to the discussion that you had earlier in the pod when you said we're replacing Lorenzo Alexander. I mentioned on Twitter maybe yesterday that when you say you're going to take multiple players to replace Lorenzo Alexander, it's kind of an eye-rolling thing. Oh, you know, oh, he does so much. No, 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 no. We actually replaced him with multiple players here. We replaced the off-ball linebacker part of him with A.J. Klein. We replaced the special teams demon part of him with Matikiewicz. We replaced the versatile defensive line pass rusher with Addison and with Quentin Jefferson. So at this point, Lorenzo Alexander from his, from his role standpoint has been replaced by multiple people. It tells you how well and how highly the organization thought of him. But I think, I think I'm on board with Quentin Jefferson at end. And I, maybe that's just cause I, I think that the best four on the field at the same time is going to end up being some combination of Jerry Hughes, Ed Oliver, Vernon Butler on pass downs and star Latulule on rundowns and Quentin Jefferson. Maybe I'm forcing it in my head because I think he's one of the best four defensive linemen on our team, but it's going to be fascinating to see what they do with the line. So, yeah, we've talked about these moves. We're going to add Taiwan Jones on the end here because it happened just a little bit ago. We're going to add him. We're going to make go ahead and make it eight. Taiwan Jones coming back plus the Klein signing plus the Matikiewicz signing means as far as I'm concerned, Sonoris Perry is gone. He's not coming back. That's right. And Julian Stanford's probably not coming back. And Maurice Alexander's probably not coming back. As far as I'm concerned, that's a three-for-three trade. Do you have any other thoughts on Taiwan aside from the fact that we really don't want to talk about him breaking our hearts in the 2019 Houston-Buffalo wildcard game? I saw the move and I quote tweeted and I said, oh my God. And people were like, what? You don't like the move? And I'm like, no, people, do you not remember the the final thing that I remember of Taiwan Jones is him sticking a knife sideways and then pulling it out straight. That's all I, that's all I remember. Gosh, I was just going to curse, but I won't. Um, yeah, you know, I think Taiwan Jones provides you your second gunner. I think you've now got Robert Foster and Taiwan Jones as your two gunners. And I think you're feeling really good about that. I do think that there's some karmic retribution that has to be measured in this world. And I think that Taiwan Jones is going to be responsible for a forced fumble and punt and fumble recovery on a punt that's going to happen against the Houston Texans in the wild card round of 2020. What am I kidding? We're not going to the wild card round. We're going to win the division. But anyway, so you have eight moves now. You can rank them from your most favorite to your least favorite. Mr. Geary, 
what is your least favorite move and scale all the way up to your most favorite move of the eight we have mentioned. All right. So how about, can I start with my least favorite? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, why, why don't you, my least favorite move. Uh, actually, I probably should have started with my favorite move, but that, that just would have been, that would have been too easy. Um, let's say, what, pronounce the linebacker's name for me. Matikavich. Matikavich. Madagascar, Madikavich. Okay. Uh, Madikavich is probably my least favorite move only from the standpoint is that I think they overpaid for a special teams player that's not going to give you any defensive snaps. Not necessarily the player. I think he'll probably end up being a great special teams player. Um, I just, I'm going to have a, I'm going to throw a stink about the, uh, about the, um, you know, the number. Otherwise, I'm fine. Um, okay, so seven. Um, Taiwan Jones, because it's not really inspiring. It's not the worst move. Um, it's a special teams player. Um, he hurt me. Um, so I'm putting him down <laughs> on the list at number seven. Um, and then at number six, I'll go Vernon Butler. Um, Butler, I think out of the defensive lineman that they end up bringing in is the one I'm most worried about. And maybe you could make the argument. Addison is, is another guy you could potentially worry about just based on age, but Butler coming off of only one season of production, you mentioned the potential switch from a five technique to a three. What that, what does that do, um, to his potential ascension or his upside? Um, that definitely is something to think about. So number six for me is Vernon Butler. Number five, um, Where do I want to go with number five? I'll go Mario Addison. Um, Addison, I think because of what I just mentioned with the age factor and the overpayment factor, um, that it's certainly not a bad move. Um, I would call it right in the middle of the lukewarm move that I think we all expected. Um, I don't know that we expected it to be at 30, 31, or 32. I think the max of the contract could potentially be. Um, I don't think any of us thought that. I think you mentioned it on uh, earlier in the program, and I think I'd spot on as I was expecting a one, two year at the very most. Three years is interesting. So uh, I'll I will place Mario Addison at number five. Number four in terms of moves. Okay, we're coming down to it. I've already mentioned a bunch. Uh, Let's go AJ Klein, um, number four. The reason I like number four and the reason that I'm going to have him on the the nicer side of the scale here um, is because of his fit with Sean McDermott. Um, I don't think they particularly overpaid for him for a player that, like we mentioned, is probably only going to play 20 to 30% of the snaps defensively. I do think he has special teams value. um, And on top of that, I think he's got the leadership value that maybe we're losing with Lorenzo. So value um, outside of just playing defensive snaps for AJ Klein. Number three, Quentin Jefferson for me. Um, And maybe he could be number two for one of my favorite moves only because of the fit. Um, Another ascending player who, you know, you could look at right now as being, um, it'll it'll be interesting to see because he's young still and he's a player that can get better. Um, He's a player that when they talked about the players that Seattle's defensive line might lose, I saw saw a lot of people in Seattle media saying that that was the one guy they hoped they, they could keep. Um, So that definitely means something to me um, outside of more than just, um, you know, it, it, it being a player that, that maybe they liked off the field is on the field. He was super productive, had more uh, pressures in less snaps than Jordan Phillips last season. So that again is, is something that sticks out to me. And number two, who am I missing here? Poyer. The extension. Last year, oh, oh, Poyer, the Poyer extension. That's right. Uh, of course, that's why I kept it for this long, right? Poyer. Um, the Poyer move is just I think good on the Bills and good on Poyer. Um, Poyer's earned it. I think he's been playing on an incredibly bargain contract for the better part of three years. Um, he earned a little a little buyback, and he's also taken a hometown discount. And, and I think that's what the, the between Quinton Spain and him, seeing those two take hometown discounts and seeing what the Jets are dealing with, certainly I'm going to sleep so well tonight knowing that the New York Jets can't get anybody to play football for them. And the better <laughs> the best part is we've got guys who could go out in the market and, and command some money, decide to stay home for less um, and and take middle of the road and and, and Quentin Spain's um, situation, essentially the last 
uh, 32nd or 33rd overall he's going to be paid per year at the guard position. So big, big wins for Brandon being on both those contracts. And first and foremost, the number one overall in your hearts, number 14 in your programs. Um, Stefan Diggs, how could you not absolutely just be 100% in love with this move from a, um, a franchise standpoint, from a PR standpoint, from a on-the-field standpoint, from a quarterback development standpoint? Um, just every checks all the boxes that you want uh, for a number one receiver, but particularly this market, this team, it's a franchise all trade. And I don't think that's an overreaction. I don't think that's a hot take. I think this is as close to uh, the Terrell Owens in a more appropriate setting, in a more organic setting, uh, a, 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 a situation where you have a, a player. Now, he's not, I don't think he's Terrell Owens. I don't understand Terrell Owens is a top five receiver of all time and and a Hall of Famer. And, and I'm not trying to, to, to maybe overreact to how good potentially Stephon Diggs is, but it's like that at this point in his career at 26 years old um, with $11.5 million on the cap this is a player um, that isn't even your highest paid player but is by far your best um, other than Tredavious White so you know I, I feel really good about them going and getting the receiver after early in their day I thought to myself oh my god how did the Bills miss out on DeAndre Hopkins if that's all it took I was like oh my god this is this is the worst day ever how could they be out on that that was the trade to be in and and turns out that you end up paying fair market value for a wide receiver that I'm super pumped to see in the system um, you know as, as the Americans Express would say, priceless. I'll go through mine from the least favorite to the most favorite. I'm going to start at the very bottom with AJ Klein. I think uh, I think it's an overpayment for a limited athletically player. I, I didn't wasn't a huge fan of AJ Klein coming out of college when the, when the Panthers initially drafted him. And I think we could have gotten a better value. I mean, look at the Kyle Fackrell contract from the Giants. And I think to myself, I would have rather had that contract for that player than the AJ Klein contract. And, you know, $6 million a year for a for a player who is going to play a little bit on defense. But even when he comes in on defense, I only really want him doing a couple things. I only really want him playing strong side linebacker into the line of scrimmage. I don't think he can be on there if, you know, if the Ravens roll out two tight ends and we go base defense and he has to cover a tight end. I'm not feeling good about it. So he's not a, I'm not a huge fan of the move, but Taiwan Jones is number seven, just because I understand it. I get it. It's as, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it, it's a, it's a limited upside move. We know what we have in Taiwan Jones. It is what it is. Uh, Matikavich is going to be third on this list of my uh, least favorite moves here at this point. Um, Matikavich, a little bit of an overpayment, I think for a special teams player. However, at least I know we're getting a, extremely high productive special teams player. I mean, yes, you overpaid for a special teams player, but at least I know it's a really good one. So that helps. Number four on my least favorite is Butler. Uh, you know, the five tech thing worries me a little bit. And the fact that he only had one breakout breakout season just now worries me a little bit as well. So I'm kind of in the middle on that. I understand it could be an ascending player could be great, or we could have just signed the player that we were worried that Jordan Phillips was going to come in, turn into. So Mario Addison is my fifth on there. I, I understand the necessity. I'm good with it. It's a little bit higher than I thought it was going to be from a price standpoint. But like you mentioned, I'd much rather have Mario Addison for that number than Shaq Lawson for that number. Plus, I, I don't want to go into the draft absolutely needing to draft a pass rusher with our second pick. You know, in, in our pick in the second round, which is our first pick at 54 overall, because we didn't address that need in free agency. And he does that. I'm completely confident and comfortable with him being able to come in and produce. So I'm good with it. Three, Jordan Poyer, the extension on the field. I think it's an absolute slam dunk. I also think there's something culturally to this where even if we signed you and you outperformed your contract, you don't have to go somewhere else to get your money because that hasn't really had to be an issue for Brandon Bean yet. Brandon Bean hasn't had to give a contract to one of our own. I understand that Brandon Bean wasn't here when Jordan Poyer signed. I get that. But this is one of the first, you know, Quentin Spain, Jordan Poyer. This is kind of the first wave of the who are we going to extend things. And I think with the way that Jordan Poyer is viewed in that locker room, I think it was important culturally in addition to being on the field, in addition to being a bargain. Number two is Jefferson. I was a huge Quentin Jefferson fan. I didn't even have him on my free agent target list because I thought we weren't going to get him. And two years, 13 and a half million. Are you kidding me? That's that's money. I thought Addison was going to get. I thought he was going to get closer to those numbers. And we got Quentin Jefferson, who I love for it. That's the number two move for me. 
number one move as far as my most favorite now, it's Stephon Diggs, obviously. For every reason you just said, this year is all about Josh Allen. It's all about Josh Allen. In fact, I would argue every year is all about Josh Allen until Josh Allen proves he's the guy, in which case we can say, okay, we know he's the guy. We've checked the box for can win a championship with that guy. And now we can move on. And until we check that box, every single waking moment will be staring at that box, waiting for it to get checked. And I want to eliminate as many variabilities as I possibly can into the equation to make sure he can check that box. And that's exactly what Stefan Diggs does. Nate, anything you want to talk about, anything you want to touch on, we didn't touch on before we close out. Uh, I'm pissed that Chris Harris went to the Chargers. Fuck the Chargers. I had to curse at least one time on the episode. I'm sorry. Um, let's see. I'm kind of going through my feed right now of some of my some of these other moves that have taken place across the lead. Do you want to do you want to just do a quick um, like a nice uh, deep belly laugh about the New York Jets? Do you want to do that real quick? Yeah, I've actually been working on my evil laugh a little bit. You can tell me what let's you think. Try about it. it. Are you, are you ready? Here we go. Here we go. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was that was Dracula esque. Um, that I, I was terrific. Kind of like the, the Sesame Street guy, you know. Uh, you yes. Know, how how many free agents did the Bills sign? One. Yes. Two, uh, are, three have free you agents. seen? Yeah, you would. It was a. You're right. It was more of a Count Dracula. A Count Dracula. But I, what I'll say is, it reminded me of the character from I Love You, Man. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, not I Love You, Man. Um, or wasn't I love you, man? No, 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 no. What's the other one with uh, Jason Siegel? Uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes, forgetting Sarah Marshall. You I know how you. he's got the he's got the Dracula. Like you had that that feel to you. Uh, the forgetting Sarah Marshall. So that 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 was a good one where he does uh, the uh, organ playing with the puppets. That that's mm. that's it. That's that's all I got for you there. Um, but I will give you a good belly laugh. <laughs> Oh, see, that's perfect. You, you know, this is not doing anything. Yeah, this is not doing anything to to discourage me from the fact that you are actually Andrew Scott, who plays Moriarty in the BBC show Sherlock. And you're have you watched that show, Nate? I have not. No, but you oh you have goodness. told me multiple times. It's it uh, is so good, Nate. It is my favorite television show of all time. What's it called? It, it's just called Sherlock. It's a BBC show with Benedict okay. Cumberbatch, Martin Freeman. Yep. Andrew Scott uh-huh. plays Moriarty. He is absolutely brilliant in that role. It is the you could be you could be a film critic. You know what? I could be a film critic. I think you I think I may have just uncovered your 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 next career. Uh you're welcome. Um but uh oh the other thing, the other thing I was gonna bring up, uh the last thing I was gonna bring up was Judavian Clowney. Twenty million per year he's currently looking for, according to Diana Rossini. Uh that is not gonna happen. And uh, you know, you do feel a little bit for the guy because he's just been so hyped over the course of his career and been sort of just disappointing on the field, uh, where it actually matters. So looks like for the most part that uh he's not gonna get the money that he was looking to potentially get in a long term deal. And I wonder now if Judavian Clowney goes to a team on a one year deal um, to try to maybe rebuild some market value if he can have a big season somewhere. Um, so I, I, that's something I'm looking out for uh, just as, as free agency unfolds. But interesting to see Jadavian Clowney be the big name still remaining on the board. Not surprised by that, though. Yeah, I actually tweeted out before we started recording. I tweeted out. I said, you know, it's I, I'm, I'm shocked. Quite frankly, I'm shocked that somebody who has uh, a torn meniscus Microfracture surgery, grade two ankle sprain, lumbar sprain, Liz Frank sprain, elbow sprain, second elbow sprain, two knee surgeries, a back sprain, a core injury, and a hip injury. I'm actually shocked. I'm just shocked, I tell you, that he wouldn't be able to get the $20 million a year offer that he was looking for. So I think you're right. I think that when you don't see a market, you know, this is a little bit like Quentin Spain. You know, he didn't see the market kind of develop for him the way he wanted to. He took a one year deal, he proved it, he did prove it. And he got what he started. At this point, Jadavian Clowney's mind shift has to go from, I want to get that contract to where can I go systemically that I can show out this year and get the contract next year? And so the strategy for him is going to have to shift here in real time. And I actually wonder if he might go unsigned until after the draft. 
and somebody who didn't get what they wanted in the draft goes, okay, we'll give you one year, $17 million. He looks at them and goes, listen, I know I'm going to walk in to a good scenario with a starting spot, and these guys are obviously desperate. I'm going to go show out. I'm going to get my money next year. Maybe he can finally stay healthy for a year, but I'm not personally interested in the Bills pursuing him. I don't know about you. No, not at this point. Not not with what they've got at defensive end. If they wanted, um, if they wanted to bring in a depth player, that's one thing, and and maybe that mo- moves Trent Murphy off the roster. Um, but no, I I don't think it's something that interests me at this point, um, based on what they've done already. Cool. Well, Nate, thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate my pleasure, it. My friend. Where can the folks find you? At Nate Geary WGR, of course, on Twitter. Uh, you can find my work at WGR550.com, On Demand Audio, Sports Talk Saturday. I will be back in the saddle again this Saturday from my own home. I will be hosting for the very first time a three-hour radio show from my couch. So I'm interested in how that's going to work out. And uh, so I'll let you know. I'll let you know how that goes. Excellent. Okay. Now, for the Buffalo Rumblings podcast listeners and Bills fans around the world, I have one more thing I want to tell you, and it's really, really important that I say this because, you know, just because Nick's not here and it's the Nate and Nolan show doesn't mean that this is not equally as important. And it's really, really, really pivotal that I tell you this. So one last thing before we go, and it's this. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. Cha-cha.